All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast, a second live stream in one day. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz. It is a privilege to get to hang with you tonight, and I'm actually kind of excited about doing an evening live stream. I'm hoping that um, at least some of you will have had the opportunity to step away from your your so-called work desk, maybe just join us, listen in, learn a little something from uh, my guest who I'm going to introduce just a little bit. And take advantage of this opportunity to to engage in conversation, comment, ask questions, and uh, really make this a group conversation. And there's going to be a lot of valuable practical information we're going to get into helping you refine your workflows. And uh, we'll touch on that in just a second. As I promised I would do before every episode, I I made a a small donation to Charity Water, pop the receipt up there on the screen, and uh, just want to put that reminder out there for everybody that there are opportunities all around us that don't even require that much money, that enable us to be able to give back, whether it's a local community or to national or international organizations, there's incredible opportunity there. And I would just encourage you to look for those opportunities. Uh, We're lucky to be in the positions that we are, and and we should look for those opportunities to give back. All right. I am going to uh, bring our guest in here. I am privileged to not only have a brand new guest with me and Rick Liston, but Rick is uh, chiming in from, well, I guess all the way around the world. Yeah, Rick? Sunny Australia, mate. <laughs> and whereabouts in Australia are you based? Uh, a little wine region called the Yarra Valley. It's about an hour out of Melbourne. Okay. Now, I've not had the opportunity to go to Melbourne previously. I, I actually visited a couple of times, went out to Brisbane and the Sunshine Coast um, and loved it. I mean, it's such a beautiful, beautiful uh, area, but I'm going to have to get back out there, hit Melbourne, go to Sydney, and wine country sounds lovely too. Do you, do you get to take advantage? It's funny you mentioned where you, uh, where you came uh, when you came out to Australia. That was actually the image of Australia that my wife had uh, when I met her and when she decided to move here with me. Okay. Um, all those, yeah, sunny, beautiful northern beaches and everything, and then uh, brought her out to out to Melbourne where we're significantly colder, still a long way from the beach. Um, and uh, she's from Ibiza, so she's kind of used to the beach in her life. So it was, okay. it was one of the greatest tricks I've ever pulled. <laughs> yeah, it actually felt, uh, Brisbane, the Sunshine Coast in particular, just felt very much like California, just with a different accent almost. It, it was, I mean, the scenery is beautiful. <laughs> but and a lot more swearing. Uh, yeah, pr- probably a lot more swearing. But I, I'll tell you, the vibe was awesome. I mean, I, just the community of people there, Everybody just seemed so upbeat. And I'll tell you that to this day, and this was like, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago that I, that I visited, I still say no worries all the time. And I love it. Like, it's just something like you don't hear people here in the States say it a lot, but I still, it's such a, an easygoing way of saying, hey, don't worry about it. Just no worries. <laughs> you can even, uh, you can even make that no buckers, um, which oh. is, uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of, Starts with the, the basis of no worries and okay. then uh, no working furries. There's a bit of a reversal there, which I'm sure you can put together. Um, yeah. And then brought down to, to no workers. No workers. Okay. I, I'm going to figure out ways to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to figure out ways to work that in. That's pretty brilliant, actually. Oh, man, I love it. All right. Well, I, we've got a lot to cover today. And so I'm just going to dive right in. We normally talk at the outset of our conversations here at the Book of Podcasts about brand position. What sets your business apart? And I'm wondering if maybe you can sum up briefly not only your photography business's brand position, but also your education, the educational side of things that you're focused now on with photographers um, at WeddingWorkflows.com. Take it away. Yeah, Matt. So on the photography side of things, 
because I basically only stay in the Yarra Valley, I am really focused on being just the number one resource for weddings in the region. So a local guide, much more than a wedding photographer, pretty much. So I'm definitely kind of getting in front of people when they're making their venue selections, um, planning their wedding so that I'm already ahead of them before they're starting to, to look at photographers. And I guess I like now being in that position where I feel like the couples are taking a risk if they don't at least consider me having a meeting with me um, just because I know so much uh, about getting married in the region, probably more than I think anyone else. Wow. I'm a part of more, more wedding days at more places, get to see obviously where they're getting ready, transport, constantly networking with, uh, with other local vendors. Um, yeah, I honestly don't think there's anyone, certainly any other vendor type who is, uh, who is a part of more wedding days as comprehensively as I am wow. and then on the uh, the wedding workflows front um, I just know the massive impact that automation and outsourcing has made for me so I really feel it's strange that as wedding photographers we have to kind of reinvent the wheel so many times when all of us are kind of having to build the same things build the same workflows build the same back end we all get into photography knowing that we love taking photos. We love hanging out with people on, on you know, one of the best days of their lives. But 90% of the time, it's, it's in all of this back-end stuff. So I just wanted to create a, a product that allowed everyone else to get that time back um, and essentially leveraging automation and outsourcing. Brilliant. And as you were talking, for anybody who's not watching live, I do have to put this reminder out. Anybody's listening to the audio after the fact, these are live stream. And so you may be missing a few visuals. If you want to go back and replay the live stream, you can go to youtube.com slash podcast facebook.com slash Boca Podcast. Uh, Rick, I, I had your, your wedding website pulled up, and I'm going to jump back over to that, actually. Raw and unguarded is, is the big text that you see above the fold there when you land on the homepage. Um, is, that, is that a typical or an atypical, rather, approach for photographers in that area to, to be raw and unguarded? Is that kind of what enables you to stand out a bit? Um, you know what? I was nervous about you, uh, you looking on that because I, I listened to some of your, your pods talking about it, how not to be incredibly vague and that doesn't necessarily <laughs> apply to anyone. I thought that bastard's going to pull me right up on that. Um, <laughs> not at all. Really but, not a critique. I mean, it, it could be very much something that's unusual in that area. It sounds like you're in a kind of a unique position and, and being a, a, obviously a massive resource. But what's the photography market like? So... We, we have a, like, yeah, I guess a wine region, right? So I'm really lucky to be in a location where there is a, a ton of kind of wedding venues and yet a pretty small population. Um, so it's a very great destination for people from Melbourne, the big city, to coming out here having weddings. So um, there's certainly a wide range of people that love those kind of uh, vineyard weddings. But I want to try to distance myself from basically perfectionists or people that are uh, mm. so hell-bent on everything going perfectly, mm -hmm. um, which is why I guess that raw and unguarded is more of, and why I'm using as my header image, you know, something that would be considered an absolute disaster for a lot of people, which is rain <laughs> on their wedding day, the groom literally picking up the, the bride and then running out, but then just that smile on his face as he's doing it yeah. um, and those kind of moments. So I'm hoping to uh, attract people that can see themselves in that scenario and like know that, yes, we're still having a, a great fun time and this isn't, you know, what I'd planned, but uh, we're all about having a, a killer party that uh, everyone's going to be talking about for the rest of their lives. That's brilliant. I, it actually reminds me as you're talking about that, I'm, I'm seeing the picture 
there was uh, one of the things I used to do with my clients, uh, just as kind of an, a special gift, if you will, an add-on to the experience, was I had a, a Russian panoramic camera. Um, it shot 35 millimeter film, and I would take that with me on the wedding day. And of course, I wasn't shooting with that most of the time, but I would pull it out and we'd set it up and take a just a special shot for them. I blow it up, eight by twenty fine art paper mounted on foam core, and give that to them just as part of the experience. But one of the images that I had the opportunity to catch was on a rainy wedding day, and the bride had a $10,000 dress on, and the rain's coming down, the groom is helping carry her dress, they've got the umbrella over them, and then the, the bridal party's following them as they're walking across the street here downtown Chattanooga. And I wish I had it handy to pull up and, and share with everybody, but Fantastic. Man, I was so excited about how that turned out. And part of what enabled it, I think, was just that they were game. Like They, they weren't letting this kind of thing yes. phase them. But I think a lot of it's on the photographer too to kind of set the tone in that regard. Does that come natural for you? Absolutely, yeah. So I feel like that's probably why I don't know that, that having that ability is probably a bigger part of why I've become a wedding photographer than actually taking photos or being a photographer. So just being cool under fire, being able to have fun in any scenario, make anyone feel comfortable despite what's going on around them, um, is pretty much my number one trait. I think uh, ahead of actually being you know a talented photographer uh, which might sound uh which might sound crazy and i know there's so many amazing kind of artist photographers out there and i wish i could be that but then not having that it's okay because i can still fall back on uh on my skill to basically make anyone comfortable in any scenario but this is actually a perfect segue to my next question which is about customer experience and the thing that i keep saying as of late on the podcast is really customer experience holds a much heavier weight when it comes to running an effective photography business or a successful photography business now um, than ever before. Because I've got this, you know, thousand dollar phone here that can take beautiful, beautiful pictures. If I, if I even halfway know what I'm doing, it's no longer about being able to take a great picture with a fancy you know, $5,000 camera. I could do it with my phone now. So if that's the case, then I know the average individual can probably get somewhere close then it's not about the photography as much now as offering an experience that just blows people away. And part of that is their ability to be able to, the photographer's ability to be able to interact with the client and handle a variety of situations, keeping them comfortable throughout. And so I think it's important, and I can see that in you. Would you say that's at the root of a great customer experience for you, or is there a different principle that drives that? Oh, mate, for sure. I mean, yeah, as, you, uh, as you've said uh, before in your podcast, man, pretty photos are a dime a dozen. Um, so for me... I think a big part of it is just not vanishing after the booking, right? So I think we, we put so much effort into attaining that booking and then there's like a year and a half wait and then there's the wedding day and so you can show up and be amazing on the wedding day. But I think we actually have so much value to, to give because we get around weddings so much. There's so much information we have that we can stay in touch pretty much that, uh, that whole way, delivering value throughout that whole you know one, one year, one and a half year client journey. Um, to the point that when you show up on the day, they're already raving fans. So before you've taken a single photograph, you've been there helping them, imparting that knowledge, all yeah. that awesome experience that you've been getting. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, certainly a, a big part of it for me. Well, I want to transition to the next question, and, and I'm going to kind of lead the way with this picture that you've got on your weddingworkflows.com website, uh, photo of your wife and daughter. Really, really great photo, by the way. But we talk a lot about time here on the podcast and this is, you know, a, a, 
I don't know. It almost seems cliche in some ways, but the reality is, I know at least for me anyway, and we were talking about this before we started the live stream today, I started my company largely so that I could have flexibility as an individual. And at the end of the day, it's not about not working or being lazy. It's just having flexibility and I can make choices about my time, how I spend my time, when I spend my time doing this thing or that. So I'm curious if there are a principle or two, and I know we're going to get into workflows in general here in just a second, but is there a principle or two, a big idea driving your time management that allows you the freedom, the flexibility to hang out with your family and not just have to be in front of the computer all the time? Absolutely. And I know we'll, we will obviously get to the workflows, but I think just to start off with, I think building your house on a solid foundation, building your house on rocks. And so for me, uh, that is my lead generation. Where am I getting my leads from? Hmm. So if that if you're getting your leads, I guess, from social media, then that's obviously a platform that's always going to require more of you, more engagement, more of your time on the platform, more, more, more. And I just never wanted to see myself as a dad sitting there on his phone telling his daughter I'd be with him in a second. I've just got to engage, just got to hang around, mm. you know, for half an hour replying to these comments. I've got to be, you know, at six o'clock. So instead, you know, when my wife's coming home from work and my daughter's there, no, that's the important time to be on it. So I just wanted to make sure I wasn't, and actually, you know what, I got lucky not starting out doing this way because it's just become more like this. But okay. uh, instead building my leads, so the source of my income around something that for me was a lot more sustainable. Um and that was venue referrals. So mm, okay. building a great relationship with uh, with local venues and basically staying local has been really, really key to me because I know that after putting that time and effort in at the start, um, those venue referrals will be there throughout my career. So that's just hundreds of leads every year that I, I don't need to rely on being on my phone to, to go out and get them because they'll be coming in. I love that. And by the way, you're the first person on this show over 500 episodes to, to answer or to have a response like that in regards to time management. I think that's brilliant. But it's, you're right. It's about being intentional going into it, right? So if you say, hey, I know that a, a business run on social media, and I know even, I think there were at least a couple of local photographers here in our market that specifically built their business or have built their business on Instagram. And that's fine, like teach his own. And by the way, at least one of them is, is single, so there's a bit more flexibility too in their day-to-day schedule, right? But um, that's, I certainly don't want to have to be stuck to my phone. I, I've, this thing is awesome for many reasons, but honestly, if I had the choice not to be on social media, number one, I would probably avoid it uh, if it weren't for the sake of these, these companies that I'm involved in um, because I don't want to be stuck to it. I'd like to live. I'd like to engage with people in, in front of me. Um, that's just more important to me. So I love that you're intentional in building a business model that enables that kind of freedom and flexibility. I think that's a great reminder for everybody listening in. And we'll talk more specifically about the specifics of workflow here uh, in just a bit of as well. But very much related to this conversation is delegation. And I know you already mentioned outsourcing as being something, outsourcing your editing as being something that you delegate. But are there other elements of your business that you delegate as well? Uh, Yeah, absolutely, mate. Basically as much as I can. So anything that doesn't really require my personal attention um, will be automated and then anything that can't be automated will be outsourced. So the good thing about, I think, wedding photography is there's so much routine there. Um, so much of what we do is replicable. There's, there's basically procedures that we go through. Uh, when a lead comes in, you know, that triggers a process. Mm-hmm. Am I available? Am I not available? If I'm available, 
which uh, lead response is that going out? Uh, if I'm not available, who would I like to refer that wedding to? Um, okay, once they were available, here's my sequence of email messages going out. I know at this stage in your planning process, you're going to need this information and this is how to make that information. Like it's all stuff that somebody else can do for you. And as long as, and this is kind of, I guess, the, the core philosophy, if you're doing something that somebody else could be doing for you for $10 an hour, then that's all you're working for. So I'd actually much rather spend my time either A, with my family, B, working on another business, or C, shooting weddings. So like that's my superpower. That's where I can you know, be earning $500 an hour. So I'd rather be spending my time doing that. Mm-hmm. And then for everything else that somebody else could be doing for, for $10 an hour, then I'll allow them to do that for me. So I, I'm going to kind of take a step backwards because I, I meant to ask this question a little bit earlier, but you're talking about the amount that you're earning. And uh, as you were discussing getting a lot of your referrals from vendors. One of the things that, that we did as a photography business uh, when I was shooting weddings actively is built, a, lo- a lot of our business honestly came from referrals and, and part of those referrals came from a wedding coordinator locally. And the cool thing about that wedding coordinator is she was able to refer appropriate clients to me over to us over the years as our prices even shifted as, as they increased. Have you seen that flexibility in working with local vendors as well as that have they been able to send the right clients your way even if your price has shifted? Well, you know what? For me, the right clients are people getting married at a venue that's 15 minutes from my home. So that's why <laughs> venue referrals um, sending me... And, and we also have similar, I think, uh, similar values in what we appreciate. So mm-hmm. I really love the region that we're living in. I'm a big part of, of you know, the community here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the landscapes here. I love the vineyard setting. So people that also appreciate those settings... We're usually then kind of going and get along. And then there's even like more country venues that uh, I just know if, if they love that kind of setting, then, then we should be right to go. Um, and because I'm so comfortable at those venues, it's already my target market, right? So if, and yeah, and to some extent, yes. Then there's also, because I'm getting so many leads, I can still be picky in terms of which are my favorite venues. Okay and how people respond to my to my forms what red flags do i see and then i can like all right i'm going to gel more with these guys but yeah i certainly just value those leads coming in that allows me to shoot a high volume of weddings really close to my home i love that and i love the again the intentionality of trying to find locations not too far away i was just thinking about sustainability too that that was one of the benefits of working with a coordinator so closely is it encouraged a sustainable business model because she was able to refer clients to us despite the fact that our prices were increasing. She could just send the right person our way. Whereas if we put kind of all our eggs in the one basket, which was client referrals and our prices are increasing, we're pricing ourselves out of that income bracket. Um, and there wasn't the same sustainability there. So it's an interesting model that you're focused on the vendors. And it seems like you'd be in a similar situation there too, where they can send the right clients your way. Yeah, well, the good uh, thing is there's there's actually quite a lot of venues, and so um, there's high end venues, and then there's there's a lot more DIY ones, and so I have found that as my prices have increased, I probably tend to get a lot more leads from the the higher end venues than I will okay. from the DIY ones, um, but that's actually fine. It's been a, a slow transition, and there's just there's honestly there's enough venues out here that I'm, there's, there's no way that I could ever shoot the amount of leads that I, that I get coming in. 
So I want to jump to one last question before we talk about workflows, wedding workflows, and, and that is to do with an impactful business book, self-help book. This has been a favorite question for years at this point. I'm curious if one or two come to mind that you would want to recommend to our audience. Yeah, mate. And I don't want to bore your audience going over the same books that obviously um, you've covered so many times because like, you know, so obviously Story Brand, um, God, I can't remember the What's the Donald, Donald Miller's? Yeah, yeah, Donald story. Miller, I can't remember the, the actual title. Building a story um, brand. Building a story brand, right? So, so you would have seen that immediately, and just in just showing up as a uh, as a guide for the region. But I know you've covered that a, a ton of times. So I thought I would just touch on uh, a book called "Never Lose a Customer Again," hmm. and that was what actually like there was a, a real aha moment for me when I was listening to them talk about um, the businesses that make a, you know, a really big effort in, I guess, getting a sale, bringing a lead in, and then just drop off afterwards. And then the psychological shift that happens after you've dropped you know, a couple of thousand dollars on a photographer, you immediately regret it. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, unless you're there to um, allay those fears, allay those fears um, and and bring them back to why they booked you, uh, reassure them that that was a great decision, that, you know, you're, you're going to be in safe hands with me. So that's that was a big change, I guess, that I went through when, when Penny kind of dropped. I'm like, all right, I had been falling off. I had been vanishing. I had been leaving clients in this tumbleweed zone for um, the whole period of after they booked to their, to their wedding or maybe, you know, obviously I'd send out a... A questionnaire beforehand so now um, I'm kind of in touch the, the whole way so my my journey is uh, frankly massive it's it's really comprehensive so I know the kind of decisions that they're going to be making um, on that planning journey so I'm touching base with them at those points in time to give them ideas and information on you know the wedding cake alternatives had bouquets you know vow booklets like so I'm kind of always uh, always there always present so just just really not being just a, a photographer. Well, I, I pulled this up. This is Never Lose a Customer Again by Joey Coleman. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. All right, perfect. And for some reason, Capital One wants to give me a discount on the book. That's, uh, that's not a bad thing, but uh, we'll get rid of that little pop-up. And um, we'll make sure to link to this episode, or excuse me, this book in the show notes at bocapodcast.com for everybody listening and watching. Speaking of everybody listening and watching, I see that we had some comments come in. Uh, Kala, actually, who, who was on the podcast not very long ago, she said, loving the video uh, so far. Um, she corrected herself there. And then she said, what are, some, <laughs> what are some lesser known tips, practices to get that, quote unquote, in with venues? I'm always sure to talk to them before the wedding as well as tag, tag them in photos, stay in touch. I also curate a gallery that showcases the venue, send them the gallery to use how they like. I find that most venues already have an established preferred photographer, so it's hard to get in. What are your thoughts about that? Mate, there's so much we can do as photographers to, to help venues. So the biggest thing is just doing what you can to actually help them as a business and become a really vital part of their business rather than just another functional photographer. So you can get on the phone and ask them, you know, how's their, how's their midweek bookings going? So most venues, if they're, they're doing well, they shouldn't have any issues filling kind of the, the Fridays and Saturdays, but it's the rest of the week that they can really struggle with. So we kind of have this amazing skill set to, you know, put a web page together, write the copy, take the photos, run ads. So you can basically be the best employee they've ever had without actually being an employee. You can bring in so wow. much business for them midweek, creating stuff for them that uh, that they will immediately, they will never forget it. Like if you're helping them with their business, they will never forget it and they'll be referring to you as long as they're in business. 
Um, and that's certainly, certainly something that I've, I've been able to do uh, very well, just, just remembering that they're a business too and that yeah. I have skills that they need. That's, that's beyond, fascinating. Yeah. That sounds like a podcast episode in and of itself. Ready when you are. <laughs> Seriously, that we might have to come back to it. That's pretty brilliant. Laura Mills says, I love that you're aiming to shoot close to home. That's such a fabulous idea and model. And uh, by the way, I, I appreciate everybody who's commenting. And, and by the way, not even just commenting, but joining, just hanging out with us this evening. Don't be shy to, to comment and ask questions. <laughs> Calla said, I can't write apparently. Thanks for calling out the typo. So, <laughs> uh, But she, she also said the midweek targeting is a good point, especially with COVID. Those bookings are a lot more common. Thanks. So, Cal, thanks for, for chiming in, and, and uh, I really appreciate the ongoing advice and pointers, Rick. But let's go ahead and jump into the main conversation at hand, too. And I'd love to, you know, the, the title that we gave this episode today was about high workflow for high-volume wedding photographers. Just to give a little bit of context to our listeners, roughly how many weddings do you shoot, at least in, in a so-called normal year? A uh, hundred weddings, so hovering around that. Wow. Okay. So is this a is this a business model that you always aim to to create this high volume model, or was it something you kind of fell into? No. So at the start, you know, I was kind of burnt out at that thirty weddings a year, um, and I thought, well, this is the this is the cap. I'm already you know just spending so much of my time doing this, so I can't possibly take on more. And then that's when I realized actually that's insane. There's 365 days in the year. Uh, and I'm only doing 30 of them. Um, I have a workflow problem. That's yeah. Um, so then I just set out about making sure I was capitalizing on that superpower, that skill that I have, where I can charge that high dollar amount, and then anything else that somebody else can do for me, um, have them do that. And then as I, the more I outsourced, the more I delegated, the more automated. It just meant more time for me to a focus on getting the rest of those leads and then being able to shoot the rest of those those leads. Um, and so it's yeah, once your your weekends are booked and then right, you've actually got time to start building you know packages, relationships with venues because you've got your editing, you've got your emails, yep. you've got your socials sorted by somebody else. And so it just keeps snowballing into a better and better world for you. Um, having more time to, to spend on yeah, scaling your business and then actually shooting these, these high-ticket items, spending your time doing the thing that you get paid really well for. Well, we should, it's, I'm glad that you bring that up because we should add that little, not even a caveat, a really important point, actually. You're shooting 100 weddings a year, but even your elopement packages start at close to five grand. So we're not talking about shooting $500 weddings here. We're talking about pretty high-end events, it sounds like. Yeah, well, look, I, I'm... I'm, I believe I'm pretty good at my job. And because I actually get to shoot a lot more than most photographers, I can kind of accelerate how good I can become. My experience of being a wedding photographer is going kind of three times the pace of anyone else. Um, plus the exposure that's going out is is massive. So when you're obviously, when you're shooting more, everyone's seeing more of your images. If people go to a wedding venue's page, they're going to see a ton of my stuff because I'm there so often. So that just generates more desire, more leads, bump up your prices and so it's not it's not like uh I, there's a high volume but low price point i mean i'm pretty comfortable like i what i'm shooting at now i i remember a couple of years ago just not even conceiving that that would be an option that i could shoot for so i just keep testing myself to see all right what can i charge now will people still pay for it but i am i think there's a limit that i can get to like obviously there are, there are people that charge a lot more than me um but i don't know with where i'm situated 
that I could keep maintaining the volume of weddings that I'm doing. So I know that I think I'm in a pretty good spot now where I, all right, 100 weddings a year at this price point, that's going to keep coming in. And I'm, I'm honestly pretty comfortable continuing to, uh, to do that. So the whole wedding photography side of things is kind of on autopilot now. Well, but it's important. You, you talked about your local market and it is important for photographers to understand how their local market even functions, what the economy is and what that economy can support as far as price point, um, what number of weddings might be happening a year at this price point versus this price point versus this one. But one of the, the numbers, Correct. the data points that's fascinated me over the years here in the U.S. market in particular is that roughly, and this is the last data that I saw from, it's called uh, weddingreport.com or the weddingreport.com. And they were, I think that the data was 70, between 70 and 80% of weddings photographed in the U.S. were photographed for $2,000 and below. And, and then, of course, everything else is above that. And it's amazing. I, I see you raising your eyebrows. And it's, yeah, it's kind of a staggering number. But, um, and it, that leads us to multiple conversation points here. One of which, at least from my perspective, is the reality, which is that a large segment of the, at least the, the market here, can only support weddings for so much, wedding photography for so much. And, you know, no matter, in fact, when I got married uh, 20 years ago or so, my parents paid for the wedding photographer and they paid 600 bucks for that wedding photographer. And to them, they didn't make a lot of money, uh, never really have. $600 was a, a chunk of cash. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a flipping amount. And that's the reality for a lot of people. So we have this high volume of weddings that are happening in the marketplace th- that, just simply exists. Like no amount of talking about how important photography is, is going to change that. So the question is who's supporting that. And of course, and this really is a segue to my next question, just so you know, I'm going somewhere with this, but the, the apprehension, I think a lot of photographers have when it comes to shooting high volume, whether it's the, the, the luxury of doing so at the price point that you do, Rick, or potentially go tapping into this massive market that photographers usually use as a stepping stone the biggest apprehension is workflow, right? If I have to shoot 200 weddings a year, for example, in order to make a decent living, I, I just, I'm not even interested in talking about that because of all these workflow issues, all the logistics involved with that. And that's understandable. I totally get it. But I wonder if there's not an opportunity for at least some photographers who are willing to put some of the systems in place that you're going to talk about now and just to implement a bit of discipline that there might be opportunity to tap into that market that most photographers they, they touch on a little bit, but then they move away from really, really quickly. And there's this massive underserved market here. Uh, yeah, mate, actually, you're so right on so many of those points. And it would be remiss of me not to say that I am very blessed to be uh, located in a region where there is, I guess, a potential for, for people to, to spend a lot on weddings. But if you're not in that, then and you're capped by the amount of money that people are willing to spend, then surely just shooting more then is your way to raise that uh, raise that revenue. So like you said, Nathan, that's going to come down to then, yeah, an efficient, tight workflow that's actually going to allow you to take that volume on. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, there's kind of two parts to it. There's a pre and a post uh, wedding workflow. Um, and the, the post wedding workflow, honestly, the first place to, to start if you haven't looked at outsourcing or automating is just going to be getting rid of your edits. So sending that off to, to somebody else. So Photographer's Edit can take Shout care out. of, honestly, <laughs> the biggest chunk of your of your time. Um, that's like the, the number one step to, to start. And then once you've started with that, then you can look at taking the next step so that you can get home from a wedding, leave your cards, uploading into Lightroom, 
um, wake up in the morning, select a few previews, and then that's all you need to do because then you know your VA is going to be taking that catalog, sending it off to photographers edit. They're going to be building a slideshow for you, building a blog page for you. They're going to be extracting uh, answers from your questionnaires from your couple to add to that blog page. So you've got great SEO content with a lot of unique text linking out to all the vendors, sending that blog post and the download link to the couples, to all the vendors, providing the list of uh, Instagram names to all the vendors so that it's easy for them to share everyone, creating a, an Instagram highlight story that's kind of going into the, the day, tagging in all of the vendors in each one of those pages so that they can clearly share that to all of their audience, making an Instagram carousel, pinning, you know, all this stuff that we think we have to do ourselves, but we actually don't, you know, our job is taking those photos, but the rest of that stuff is so easily replicable by by somebody else. And then once you've got this great marketing engine working for you, um, yeah, you can just focus on your time on first getting more leads and then boom, second, shooting them. <laughs> All right, cut. That was good. I think we're done with the podcast episode. There's, there's just tons of value just in the, like, the last 120 seconds. If we just clip that, I think photographers will walk away with a lot. So I, I want to dig into that a little bit. And, and I'm actually not even totally joking. It, like Within two minutes there, you managed to squeeze in so much value about workflow and what photographers could do with their workflow that would add not only value to their business, but to those around them. And I mean, you highlight the importance of, of that very fact. You've built your business model on adding value to those vendors around you. And that's one of the things that you're free to do because you've got the systems in place. If you didn't, and you're just head down in your computer all the time trying to keep up with the, the workflow in front of you, you're stuck and you're so limited. And, and I, I think that's, that in of itself is a great reminder for our listeners. But I want to backtrack a little bit. And, and by the way, I appreciate the shout out to Photographer's Edit and the significance of outsourcing. We'll even come back to that in a second. I, I want to kind of build a base though because you know, we can we can throw out different ideas, workflow ideas that will enable photographers to be more efficient. Again, you already did a lot, even just in two minutes there. But principles, underlying principles that make a strong workflow, and maybe these aren't even photography-centric or photography-specific. Are there two or three ideas even that drive a really strong workflow that photographers need to consider before they start building that workflow? Yeah, so basically, so I did an accounting degree coming out of uh, high school, um, not because I ever thought myself as an accountant, but I really appreciated the principles of risk and return, opportunity cost. And that's something that uh, I kind of ask myself whenever I'm doing a task, uh, what is the opportunity cost here? So if I'm going to um, spend my week editing this wedding, what else could I have done with that time? What, I, what revenue could I have generated with that time? Could I have shot two more weddings instead? So it's it's just anytime you start doing a task, is this something that's replicable? Is this something that I could be either automating or outsourcing? Mm -hmm. If it is, then look at doing that. Now, fortunately, I've been working hard to try to create something, a process that's, that's easy for a lot of people because I know it is. there's a big barrier to entry. It's a big barrier to starting off, finding a VA, for instance, that's going to be able to do kind of what you want to do without taking the time to, to train them um, with... You know, editing. If you haven't done that before, it's uh, it's scary. So, trying to reduce those those barriers. That's why companies like yours have just been, um, I think, phenomenal game changer for so many people, so many families. To be honest, because um, you're giving so much time back. So mm. once you're able to start asking yourself, right, can somebody else do this for me, and what am I uh, really gaining or losing by still doing it myself? So that 
if that answers your question, but the underlying, I think, principle for, for me and so much of this stuff is just what's the opportunity cost? And that, that's... Um, I wish I had the right words actually to describe this. It's not a, about being cliche because I don't even think it's talked about enough in our industry, but the significance of opportunity cost. I, a lot of times photographers, when it comes to, to delegation, especially with editing, because that's the most commonly delegated probably workflow item in a photographer's workflow, at least in this day and age in our industry, at least the U.S. market. But the, the argument a lot of times is it's going to cost, I'm going to have to spend cash to, to outsource that thing. I can hold on to that cash. And there's, by the way, and understand, I empathize it, understandable fear giving up that extra cash when, especially for photographers who are just getting started, they're like, I just want all the money in the bank account that I can possibly have. But what is missed in that argument is what lies on the other side of that slight expense, which is the opportunity, as you pointed out, to do those things that are going to actually grow your business. And, and that doesn't even address the, the whole topic of time with family, as, as we talked about before. But just the opportunity to be able to do more that will generate revenue for our business that can't be automated, that, that it necessitates your involvement in the conversation and the engagement with those vendors in particular. Uh, that, that really gets missed. So I'm glad that you highlight that. And it, for those of you listening and watching this evening and listening after the fact as well, don't miss out on the significance of that. It's easy to glaze over it because you might hear it in a workshop or a conference somewhere. But what could you be doing if you were able to delegate not just editing, but email management and album design and accounting and all these other things? What could you do with that time that would generate additional or even more revenue? That's really important to keep, keep in mind. But you mentioned, and by the way, I, I've literally got um, right here in front of me, like a, a Rick, a, um, a notebook with a pen. I'm kind of doing old school, taking notes here. And I, and I already wrote down pre and post from your earlier comments. Um, and I, I just want to kind of get into, first of all, the, the pre-wedding workflow briefly, maybe a couple of workflow steps that you, you think are important for photographers to implement that maybe they don't regularly, at least based on conversations that you have with them. What, what would those be? Yep. So pre-wedding workflow steps. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Basically, every time you're at a wedding and you see a scenario that could have been prevented if they had been told about it beforehand, um, so you might see them uh, talking, sorry, uh, standing up, reading their vows off an A4 piece of paper or off their phone, and you think, you know what, that would actually look a lot better with a vow booklet. So I'm just going to research where to get a good vow booklet on Etsy. I'm going to add that email into my workflow. Um, maybe you've seen a beautiful silk ribbon flowing off a bouquet and you're like, that looks absolutely gorgeous, man. The photos of this bouquet look insane. So I'm going to send that off as a, as an example at the time when I know people are looking for their flowers. Uh, maybe you've seen some killer wedding cake ideas and you know that when people are still, you know, thinking about what wedding cake they're going to be choosing for, for their wedding and they might not be a wedding cake person, they might be looking at alternatives, boom, here's an email with a gallery showing you all these different, uh, different ways. Um, and the family photo list that's to me is one of the biggest potentials of disasters on a wedding day so I've just got a really extensive email going out detailing everything they can be doing to avert that disaster how to plan for it how to make sure it goes smoothly so that they get more time for them and just making sure they realize uh, what the cost to them is if they don't get it done right um, harvesting I guess information from the the couple's before the wedding that you're going to be able to use afterwards in a blog so you don't have to write that stuff yourself in your Instagram caption so you don't have to write that stuff yourself like you know this is great unique content that's really uh, relevant to the couple that's emotive um, but reduces one of your and certainly one of my biggest headaches and that's 
emotive writing about a wedding which when you're doing a high volume of them can be tough so i want to be making sure i'm getting actually the resources from couples beforehand to be able to use when uh, when talking about their weddings um collecting like venue vendor data to make sure that you are sharing all the the photos in the best way possible so collecting that in a great practical way uh, so even just instructing the couples on how to give you that vendor data so that you can just copy and paste it rather than spending time typing all that stuff out finding their website finding their email addresses mm. um the question is just to to start you off the the relationship you know a little little speed day questionnaire that's pre-filled with answers from you so that they get a bit of it's a bit more two-way so they're getting some information back from you um in terms of you know what your perfect you know weekend away is or what uh what your favorite album that you'd be bringing to a deserted island would be um so i think it's yeah it's a lot easier than for them to say all right he's clearly taking the time to to but put that together and, and I can gel with him and we can very easily then resonate from that. Um, and then good thing about actually doing that at the start of, uh, of that wedding planning process is because they've usually forgotten about it by the time the wedding comes around, but then you can read it in the car before hitting up that wedding. And you've got so many points of commonality to kind of talk about during your photo session. You can be bringing along a speaker, playing their favorite music and then just like, what, what, how did you know, man? Um, yeah, I don't know. there's a ton of stuff that you could be doing that makes you walk into that wedding already a superstar in their eyes. So, and I'm, I'm jotting notes down again as you were talking, but expectations management, uh, resources, and or helpful information. It's a lot of this process, I would assume, just based on your comments about automation, you're automating these the the sharing of that information with these That's right. clients? Okay. That's right. So like I said, you, know, you just, once you see an opportunity, um, that you know is going to be helpful for every other client. That's just a step you can put in your workflow, which obviously goes out automatically to everyone else. Is there, and I know this is a much more loaded conversation and, and our listeners can get more information through your site. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but is there a particular piece of software that you're using to kind of manage the automation of that communication? So yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, I neglected to mention, but uh, a CRM um, is essential in this um i don't know how i'd be doing it with uh without one to be honest and there's so many great ones out there that i'm sure you're going to find absolutely perfect for you do you have any particular recommendations are we are we avoiding naming anyone i just don't want to isolate i mean like the i honestly um i personally use uh studio ninja um but i have an account with dubsider as well and i'll be getting one with with tave just to be able to make that uh make the same workflow trying to get the best out of those platforms Mm -hmm. but the point is just using one just getting one so they're they're all able to do workflows and they're all able to obviously send out those automated emails and that's that's the biggest part of it okay all right fair enough yeah and We've mentioned um, those platforms. I think Studio Ninja is, is one of the ones that hasn't come up as much in the past. We'll make sure to link to that and, and all these resources that we're discussing in the show notes for everybody listening and watching at bocapodcast.com. But let's let's go ahead and then and jump to the post-wedding workflow, which I think for a lot of photographers might be even a bigger headache and where we could spend a little bit more time. We already discussed the significance of post-production. Or do you do... When it comes to, to post, do you do your own culling before you send the color work off or do you send all of it out? So I'll select, uh, so the morning after a wedding, um, I will select around 100 images uh, of my, my favorite photos from the day. And the reason I do this is because that's a, a really great indication to the editors of how I want the editing done. 
I also feel like those 100 images, like I kind of get almost 80 to 90% of the vibe of the wedding from that. So I'm actually happy to put my time into just nailing the best 100 photos. Mm -hmm. And because I'm doing that the morning after, that means that my VA is actually able to create that blog page, create that slideshow, send that out to the couple. And you've got all these people that were just seeing you in action at a wedding day, now getting shared a link to a great, pretty comprehensive gallery and slideshow the day after. So they're actually much more likely to look at that and spend time. It's the day beforehand. Like, you know, how you feel a day after the wedding versus four weeks away. Um, you know, even as vendors as well, you're, you're going to be looking at that. So there's a couple of benefits there. They're, they're spending a lot of time on your site, which is great for SEO. Um, they're also much more likely to then go and check out your other galleries, contact you if they're, if they're looking at getting a, a photographer themselves. Sure. Um, and so I like that fast turnaround. So one of the common things that uh, couples will, will absolutely love about the service is just how fast they got to see a slideshow the next day. Yeah, we, we even did. I don't know if you've ever done this before. We used to do slideshows even <clears throat> at the wedding. We would take some of the images and process them very quickly and, and put together a slideshow there at the wedding, and it blew people away. It was the coolest thing to see them would gather have, around. Yeah. It was so fun. So Yeah, I, that's awesome. So then when it comes to – I'm curious to get your take on this. I mean, I, I know you're a systems-oriented guy, but – when it comes to delegating something out, especially like editing, I know one of the biggest hangups besides cost is the idea that somebody else is processing your images and maybe they're not going to match your editing style. A lot of that just requires good communication. In fact, any good delegation requires good communication. And I'm wondering if you can make a few pointers or suggestions about strong communication in the process of giving something to somebody else to get done in a way that might be similar to you. Yeah, so I think there's two two answers to this question. And one is, um, while you might be right that nobody else could do it exactly how you would be doing it, you've got to really ask yourself, uh, once again, what's the opportunity cost here? So I could spend my time editing this thing, getting this exactly as I want it, but that's actually costing me the potential to go out and shoot a bunch more money, triple my revenue, spend all that other time. So your decision to put a priority on getting your edits perfect you're saying that's more important than time with my family scaling my business earning more money then the second aspect is uh how to communicate excuse me more clearly so there is a really simple tool called loom Um, it's a freaking great little extension Mm -hmm. and basically you get a gallery back from your editor and you see something you can actually just start a loom video go through reviewing it, um, let your editor know, actually in this scenario, I see you've done this, I see you've, done a crop, you've cropped it this way, I probably would have cropped it this way, I've got a preference for that. Hit pause, keep going through until you see another scenario. Hit unpause. Um, I see the, whatever, the sky, it could have been brushed out a little bit uh, sure. different here, drop the highlights there. So just, mm-hmm. just it's a video um, link that you can send to them just just screenshotting your review of their process so they they can see exactly what you mean very quickly and so you'll get on the same page really fast and the other thing is like they're bloody good at this i don't know i don't know about you but i got into wedding photography because i like taking photos man i'm not an editor um so just leveraging their abilities to to edit um i think is is the way to go yeah, and, and I, I have to touch on this, and I think you actually commented on on the post that I, I put on my stories the other day, but a lot of photographers will argue, oh, I like editing, so I w- I'm going to do the editing. And, and I even hear people speaking or teaching at workshops or conferences saying, hey, if you like editing, 
you know, more power to you. Go do that thing. But the opportunity cost is what's not being considered in that. And you know, I could argue that I like watching Netflix, but it doesn't mean I should sit around watching Netflix all day. It doesn't enable me to run my business effectively or reach my goals. So it, it seems like that's kind of a broken thought process. I don't think there's anything wrong with liking editing. I like it. I like to play in Lightroom. Um, I think what you shared earlier is a beautiful kind of compromise, not even a compromise, but a, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, what's the best word here? Like a hybrid situation where you get to process a few images yourself. You're staying in touch with that. It even acts as a point of reference for the editing team. And then you give the bulk of that, that work, which really could be categorized as busy work, to somebody who can handle that for you can still do a great job of matching what it is that you do. But the other thing I have to highlight too, Rick, and, and reiterate this, because in 13 years of business at Photographer's Edit, one of the biggest, um, I guess, limitations for photographers when they begin to outsource is that they, they kind of just, in many cases, even just kind of dump the images on us, expect something to get done without really communicating that, and then they don't get the, a great finished product back, and then they leave. There's, there's a lack of understanding when it comes to the importance, not only of communication of their preferences up front, but then what you highlighted, which is the feedback process after the fact. And it's so important, not just to get positive feedback, but if you get a set of images back that need to be tweaked or adjusted here and there to give that feedback, we've built a system into Photographer's Edit that enables that and makes it easy for the client to do that and give specific references and examples. And um, it's still photographers push back. They're like, it takes too much time. And literally, if they just did it, it would take maybe five minutes to take a couple screenshots and click on a couple drop downs. And it's free to have the, the order redone. And boom, not only did we get better for it because they gave us feedback. So the working relationship becomes better. But then they didn't have to go spend however long going back and fixing the problem. And, and it's a commitment to that long term relationship and developing the working relationship that is it's so vital. So I'm glad that you highlight that. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's actually a big part with when you're dealing with uh, virtual assistants as well. So if you're going in with the expectation that they should be in your brain and knowing exactly how you want to do everything, um, you're going to be disappointed. But if you go in knowing that, okay, this is actually a separate human being um, who is not in my brain and I'm going to do everything I can to show them visually um, why it is that I like the, the things the way they are, spend that time up front, make that investment, then it's really going to pay dividends long term. Okay, so I, we have editing post-production. We also have um, album design as another significant component of a lot of photographers workflow after the fact whether they're shooting a portrait session or they're photographing a wedding or event of some kind do you have a process in place for that do you delegate that process as well absolutely yep so every wedding will get uh, an album design basically by but not not by me um so this is just a my Sales automation is obviously another another workflow, and I think there's so much stuff in there as well that so many people don't touch on. But it's one of those incredible things. Like that's probably the most money that most photographers are leaving on the table that kind of can be solved by a great workflow. So, you know, are you uh, setting up a gift registry so that all the guests of the wedding who are looking for something to spend their money on as a present mm. to the to the couple are they able to purchase? A photography digital gift card for the for the couple like yeah that's just money for jam that you could be making before the wedding um obviously the, the series of, of uh early bird offers anniversary gifts uh 20 off uh, if you approve this album design 
um, all this stuff can go out automatically and really just help drive that uh, that revenue. And thank you cards. Like, I don't know what it's like in the the US, but but here, every wedding will send out thank you cards to all of their guests. So it's a service that that we can do. So I'm just going to proactively send you a design so that you can just click yes and we'll we'll order that for you um yeah there's a ton of stuff there on the on the table in in terms of workflow automation i'm kind of smiling because i'm your nonchalance and just kind of throwing for example thank you card design out there Mm -hmm. like it's a normal thing is it's hilarious only because i know it's not the norm for photographers at least here in the u.s to do something like that but again you have the freedom to think about these types of things because you've got good systems in place everywhere else so two or maybe three questions if you don't mind just as we finish up here when it comes to the album design process you mentioned that that somebody else does that Are, are you working with a va for that are you working with a company that handles that process for you I work with the VA um, for that because I actually found there's a, I don't know, there's a pretty simple formula that I use for my own album design. So I just went through the same process that we were discussing before of what you would go through with your editor. So here's me doing it. These, these are the reasons I'm making these decisions. This is why I want a scene like this. I want it separated from there. I want to be spending two to three spreads dedicated to this part of the day. I want my reception photos, you know, in a group of shots um like there's there's actually a, a formula that can be followed to it and applied to uh, to other weddings um and then like a big part of the headache with album design is then dealing with the revisions afterwards but that's just usually that's something that somebody else can do because it's pretty straightforward feedback like can you please replace this photo with this photo can you bring in this one can you make that one larger if you're doing those things for you know and you could be paying somebody else ten dollars an hour then that's all you're working for yeah Oh, and that really is such a tedious process, the back and forth of it. Um, at print sales. We, when, when I was a photographer, we worked with a company for quite a while. It was an online gallery, and then ultimately they handled print sales for us. Ran sales like you were talking about during the holidays. Basically was our front end, and we didn't really have to touch it. And it was, that was intentional on our part. We wanted that workflow. We'd charge a premium up front, and we'd let the print sales be handled by this company. Uh, they're not no longer in existence. But are you working with a lab or an online gallery that can enables some automation like that? Yes. Yeah, so PickTime is who I'm working with, and mm. the so renowned no, no photographer I think out there would not have heard that uh, how good their, their sales automation is. So it's mm. really getting in there and making the most of that. Um, I know it is. It's a bit of a beast coming up with a, with a system. Um, so that's a product that I'm working on now that I want to be able to release. That's what I was touching on a big time webinar uh, two nights ago. Um, okay. But basically, it's just the workflow that I've come up with, and it's kind of a little dance between about six different automations, um, ones that I've had to hack together myself. So the GIF registry, um, the, the rolling publish so that the, the couples can see the gallery before it's live to the rest of their guests so that they can hide any photos that they don't want the thank you card design going out an early bird promotion that's 20 percent off for 14 days abandoned cart an anniversary gift a gallery expiration um basically so after two years of the gallery being online you can offer them a service of of continuing to, to hold those photos for them mm-hmm. um at a subscription fee and then also combine that with another 20 percent off gallery expiration discount um and then sending uh, sending an album offer based off a, a design where yeah a twenty percent discount if they approve it within um, within the month. I, I'm amazed, and first of all, I'm a huge fan of PickTime 
one of the main reasons is that they, they have to have the best design in the industry. Their site, I, I'm obsessed with minimalist design and their site is just gorgeous. I, I don't know I, who might be doing the actual design work for that stuff, but it's just absolutely stunning. So just the user experience is enjoyable for that reason. But I'm amazed that there aren't more companies that have taken on that model. We, we worked, the company was called Pictage that we worked with years ago. And they were really at the time, I think the only company that, was, that had this, this type of model um, and I realized the advantages to IPS and the money that you can make there. We just didn't want to, to take on that model. So to have a company that you can just give the images to and literally everything like you're talking about from um, even basic editing, but then album design work and print sales uh, and running sales during holidays and so forth, just automating and the communication, the email, everything. It was just, it was incredible. You literally had a business partner in that or in that company. So the fact that PickTime is doing that, I think is brilliant. Um, I'm a huge fan of them. It's, they're owners I've had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with. Um, and and uh, I think we actually had them on the podcast a couple of, two or three years ago as well. But um, cool people, incredible business model. And um, we'll make sure to link to them in the show notes too at bocapodcast.com for everybody listening in. Make sure you check out PickTime. Huge resource. Uh, Rick, I, I know we've, we've taken quite a bit of your time uh, today, and I, I appreciate you sharing so much information here, uh, but it's also just like scratching the surface. So I do want to give a shout out to WeddingWorkflows.com. I'm going to pull this up really quick and just share with our listeners, if you will, what they can get going to your website, some of the resources you have available, if you will. Um, so it's, a, it's early days, but uh, but as of right now, basically, um, you can have my pre-wedding workflow. So if you are on Studio Ninja, we can we can install that into your system. But I do have uh, an option there to just download all the the templates. So all my email templates, my questionnaire templates. So then you can plug that into your system. Um, if you subscribe to my newsletter, I'll certainly be announcing when the workflow is ready for Dubsado, when it's ready for Tave, Tave. Um, and then the other the other aspect uh, is the virtual assistant agency. So these are virtual assistants that are trained in serving wedding photographers so so many of the things that that we do that obviously handling your edits social media slideshows posting pinterest sending to vendors magazine subscriptions i even got mine doing like my zero bank reconciliations just like all these common tasks that we end up uh, doing it takes actually quite a while to create um standard operating procedures sops so what I offer here with my virtual assistant agency is just removing that barrier to entry of all of that uh, that time spent creating your own SOPs and training them on things that I think are pretty replicable amongst wedding photographers. Well, that's I, I think not only having the resource of the workflows outlined the way that you do. In fact, I, I want to jump right over real quick back to your website. And for anybody listening in who missed it, it's weddingworkflows.com. Of course, we'll link to this um, and social media wedding workflows in, in the show notes. But uh, with this workflow, four automated workflows, 23 email templates, three questionnaires, um, one instructional walkthrough video. And, and by the way, I just have to say, Rick didn't ask me to go through this in detail and sell it for him. I, I just think that I mean, you can see based on his experience and the business that he's created here that he has a lot to offer to this conversation. And to be able to tap into that a little bit with this workflow, um, I think is a really valuable resource. So um, we'll put all the information, Rick, in the show notes for our listeners at bocapodcast.com. I really appreciate you making time to just, again, hang out with us, share some of your advice, your perspective. This has been really, really helpful. Dude, thank you very much. Always love sitting with a, uh, 
more handsome version of myself, which I mean, look at this right here. Look at we this did here. the black T-shirt. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> the slightly unkempt beard, and, and I don't know. We've been in lockdown for two months, so hence my offensive haircut. But I think if I uh, if I could get around with a snappy haircut like that, then yeah, you're reminding me of a version of myself that I could look like. Mm. Well, man, seriously, I appreciate you making time for all our listeners. This podcast, at the end of the day, is about adding value and and practical, actionable content, and you've done that for us today. Uh, again, even just in that two-minute clip, we're going to have to literally pull that and push it out in social media because it's going to give food for thought for, for a lot of photographers. But again, thanks for, for adding value to the conversation. And thanks, everybody, for joining us, for hanging out, for listening in, for commenting. And uh, make sure if you want to go back and check out the replay, youtube.com or facebook.com slash Boca Podcast. Thanks a lot. Nathan, cheers, mate. Thank you. <laughs>